All right. I, I see three green check marks. I'm just assuming that that means that all three services are working. Hey there, everyone. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's David Barnett. Um, you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the show where we discuss buying, selling, and running privately owned businesses while managing risk, especially what we're going to be talking about today, managing risk. So if you're looking to make your own way in life by being a business owner, or if you're looking to grow or exit the business you have, you come to the right place. And today I've got a special guest who's joining me from Austin, Texas. We've got Scott Smith from Royal Legal Solutions. How are you doing, Scott? Hey, doing well today. Excited to uh, share with everybody a little bit more about um, some of the best practices that I've learned and being mm -hmm. an attorney, um, as well as a business owner. So like we, we ended up uh, growing Royal Legal Solutions uh, from just me with like a laptop and a cell phone six years ago to now to be a nationwide uh, law firm that has over 30 employees and we have over 2000 clients. And that's what we're focused on. It's like, what are the best practices that we see people using time and time again to be able to like craft their businesses, their portfolios, and how do you get all of the bits and the pieces to all work together in a one-stop shop? Well, we're, we're talking about asset protection. And yesterday was a sunny day here and I, I rode on my motorcycle out to the coast and as I was driving on the bike, I thought to myself, geez, Scott's going to come here tomorrow. We're talking about asset protection. Um, is it really wise for me to own this motorcycle or should I like put Absolutely. it into some kind of trust controlled out of Belize bought with a Panamanian bank account or something? That's really not the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about here today, is it? No, I think we're going to get down to just like what's the really practical stuff that everybody should be doing and what is like the ways to think through the very practicalities of like, what do you do when you're just first starting a business to like, how do you start to grow? And if you're starting to really starting to consider those options of like, do I need offshore trusts and that kind of stuff? That's awesome. Like those are conversations that we can have, but realize that you're in a pretty selective class. And so that's a really a one-on-one -on -one, uh, type of conversation that's going to be more narrowly tailored. Um, to you. But the basics of the stuff we're going to be talking today is like how to efficiently and effectively use LLCs, trusts, and limited partnerships mm -hmm. um, to get the most bang for your buck in terms of being able to create anonymity and your ownership of your businesses, anonymity and the ownership of your assets. Uh, how do you make sure that if you're sued, you lose little to nothing from those lawsuits um, and that you can do it in a way that's going to be um, tax efficient for you, both on tax preparation being streamlined and how much you effectively have to pay in tax to the government. And, you know, Scott is in, this, in the United States, and we're going to be talking about some things that are particular to the states, but some of the, the, the concepts and the ideas that we're going to be getting at here today, many of them have analogous solutions in other countries around the world. So we're going to be talking a little bit, too, about some of the questions that you might be, want to be asking attorneys or CPAs or people that are going to give you advice in other countries, if you happen to be outside the U.S. And um, so, Scott, why don't we get, get into your backstory a little bit? Um, you're an attorney. How did you end up sort of in a specialized firm dealing with asset protection? What, what, what led you to this point? Um, yeah, so I've always been more like interested in being an entrepreneur than I was being an attorney, right? Um, so I was kind of an attorney by default and I worked in litigation, uh, suing insurance companies and investing in real estate uh, where my site was my investing in real estate was my side hustle um, until I was making more money doing real estate and uh, uh, that I was actually being an attorney. And so real estate investing was my first business, right? Of like acquiring the assets and setting up those businesses. But then, you know, as I grew that business, uh, people started asking me for help about, you know, how can they grow their real estate investing business, but also just how do you grow businesses? How do you grow um, your personnel and all of the things that go into that? 
um, more so than just leading teams, right? It also has to do with like, how do you do your bookkeeping? How should your entity structuring, you know, be set up? Um, you know, the full gamut of it. So I'm in a really unique position over the last um, seven years uh, to be uh, solely focused on on these um, these topics, which I think makes me uh, probably one of the foremost experts uh, in this uh, genre of uh, being able to help just about anybody that comes to the door about how do we look at um, your asset protection structuring for your portfolio. How do you have your need to have your businesses set up? How do you set up operating companies separate from asset holding companies? Uh, and that's what we work on now with about 2000 clients that are all over the country uh, inside of the United States, but also um, a, a huge amount of our client base is also from Canada. And okay. working on how do we do this cross-border? What are the cross-border tax implications and the cross-border asset protection implications? Well, it, it, the the fact that you uh, are such an expert in this field, this is why I had you and I had recorded about an hour-long conversation for the Business Buyer Adventure Group. So uh, for those of you watching, the Adventure Group is my group coaching program for people that are, want to buy a business. And one of the features of that program is every month there's a new expert recording. So Scott was one of the recordings released this month for the group. And I wanted to get him back on the main YouTube channel because I just thought that the stuff that we talked about was so important and would have such an impact on everyone out there who has, basically, if you're watching this channel regularly, it means that you're a person with interest and ambition in business. Um, you either want to buy a business or you own a business already or et cetera. And that probably means that you're going to end up over the course of your career acquiring other additional assets, things like rental properties and you know other types of things that that some villain one day might want to pursue, right? And so this is, I, I guess, for the person who's growing in their entrepreneurship, you know, who's building their empire, so to speak, at what point or what level should somebody start to be considering a defensive strategy around protecting assets? Uh, so my viewpoint into it is, is that uh, you should be running best practices in your business from the very start of your business. You should run best practice on your investments from the very start of having investments into it. So best practices means uh, that you, you need to be taking at least the minimum first steps in the right direction. So you can start to develop the right habits, and the right thinking um, that we've learned from, you know, the repeatable results of, that we've seen clients that win time over time. We've learned from those lessons and then instill those into like our, our process and thinking about it. The reason this is so important is because a lot of people think that you know, asset protection is something that's only for the wealthy, right? Um, that it's only for like other people that are out there, or maybe it's for me, but like when I'm bigger. And the reality of the situation is, is that asset protection is the right um, thing to do in conjunction with insurance. So we always have insurance, we depend on the insurance, but you don't want to be like my friend who just relied on insurance and lost over $3 million from a single lawsuit and just about totally wiped them out. Because we didn't realize that insurance companies are corporations, that they're in a business of collecting premiums and denying coverage. You also didn't realize that insurance is only partial coverage. They only protect you from simple accidents. So if it's a really bad accident, they call it gross negligence. That's never covered by insurance. If there's any allegation of fraud that somebody says you deceived them, which guess what? Anytime somebody's pissed off at you, that's what they allege is that you lied to me right? And yeah. you might expect, well, now it's fraud. That's not covered by insurance. And this is where you need the protection structures in place because it doesn't matter how honest you are. Everybody will come into court and lie. That's just the name. That's just how the game works. And so all you can do is, is to prepare yourself to be in the best situation possible when that happens. So at the very, very minimum, my philosophy is everybody needs at least two companies. You need one company 
that is your operations company, which doesn't own anything, but does everything. And then you okay. have an asset holding company, which owns everything, but doesn't do anything. Okay. So two different companies, one is your operating company, one is your holding company. And so if you have to acquire equipment, real estate, et cetera, it goes in the holding company and the operating company rents or leases the stuff. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, your asset holding company should own everything. It should own your website. It should own any like real estate that you own if you own your building. Um, it should own cars that you might have um, that are in there. Anything that has appreciable value needs to be inside of your asset holding company because if it's inside of your asset holding company and says, hey, somebody sues David, well, they can sue David, but they can't get any, any of David's stuff because David's stuff is held by an asset holding company and the law will treat everything that asset holding company as separate from David if it's set up correctly and maintained correctly, which give you a caveat here. Anybody that sets up this stuff and maintains it on their own, it never is done sufficiently well to actually hold up. But if the things are done correctly, done professionally, created and maintained, they actually do hold up when they're challenged. And that's been our experience over the last uh, six, seven years has been in that vein of seeing like, okay, where do these things actually hold up whenever they get challenged? And mm -hmm. the number one thing you can do is I have an asset holding company, which owns all my stuff and I can own all my assets anonymously and my company anonymously if I structure them using some basic trusts. Okay. So when you, you mentioned, you know, the things aren't set up properly, people can kind of circumvent it. Is that what they mean when they say piercing the corporate veil? Yeah, piercing the corporate yeah. veil or alter ego theories are ways that you would defeat LLCs or limited partnerships uh, to, to be able to in, uh, invade um, those entities and then be able to take the assets um, out of them. The crux of a lot of that has to do with how is it formed and also are you maintaining the proper structuring around your accounting and bookkeeping? Are you regularly updating your minutes and doing those things which show that, hey, this is an, this is an actual business, that it's not mm -hmm. just me and like another... Um, it's not just an extension of myself that I'm treating this as if it were a business. And I can still be a sole member. It can still just be you, right? As the sole employee and sole member and still hold up if all of the formalities are followed from a legal perspective. You know, I've, I've seen so many examples of this, you know, improper maintenance, for example. Uh, in fact, my sister spent a couple of years working as a, as a paralegal secretary. And she would often, when a business transaction was being done, be asked to sit down and create like 25 years worth of annual general meeting minutes. Yeah, because because nobody had like once that company was created, someone put the book on the shelf and nobody ever opened it again. And of course, according to the rules, you're supposed to actually have an annual general meeting. And you're supposed to have an agenda and you're supposed to call the meeting, you know, the meeting to order and all that kind of stuff. Even if there's just one owner, it's all supposed to be done. And the absence of that stuff kind of creates a real example that that, you know, maybe you're not really operating your business under this setup. That's right. So that's that's why we set it up with all the stuff that we do at Royal Legal Solutions is all set up to not just do the initial setup, um, but also to do um, ongoing quarterly meetings um, with our clients uh, at no additional cost, as well as to be able to provide unlimited support for any questions they have. So that way we can really become that authoritative single source of truth, that holistic uh, one stop shop that can cover all of the aspects of what they have going on. So they have one person to talk to that quarterbacks everything from them, make sure they run it all correctly, um, and to do it all at, at a rate that is, you know, we, we estimated some, somewhere below like 25 to 30% less than the uh, generalized uh, marketplace because, you know, we're a fully online firm, um, you know, with, with about 30 employees. And uh, in, in that context, 
we uh, are able to be able to offer the very best solutions at a, a much uh, much farther reduced price than is generalized found um, in the marketplace. But what that allows you to do is actually to use better systems, right? Mm. So we don't we don't come up and say like, hey, spend less, right? At it, it's like no, 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 just run your business better, right? Into it because a couple thousand dollars on the right setup is something that pays like ten to hundred x if you ever are in that situation and when you're in that situation that you really need it. Um, if you're in an active business at all, your liability for lawsuits is in every email that you send, every contract that you signed, every piece of fulfillment that you do into it. So you, you have to have these, these uh, things put in place or what you're risking is that somebody gets pissed off, files a lawsuit and your business gets totally frozen. And then you're, you're in a real heck of a bind. Yeah. We've got, uh, Kevin from Central Florida says, good evening. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? And uh, some more people are starting to put some questions uh, in the chat. Um, if you have a question, uh, please put it in the chat. We're going to we're going to be getting to them as as the uh, as the live cast unfolds here. Um, you made a mention earlier about trusts. And I think in the conversation that you and I had during our adventure call meeting, you'd mentioned that there are certain states that offer different kinds of structures as far as legal ownership, entity ownership, some of which are actually able to, you know, confidentially uh, sort of hide who the ultimate actual owner of a piece of property is. Can you get into that a little bit? These are perfectly legal ways to make sure it's next to impossible for someone to discover that you might own a thing or what have you, right? Yeah. So, you know, what we're what we're trying to do is to try to find out like what are the the, the perfectly legal ways that we can own an asset or own a company anonymously uh, for lawsuit protection purposes, right? So certain things that we're like not too concerned about, like if the bank knows we owned it or IRS knows that we owned it, um, those are things that I'm, I'm happy for people to know about because they're all private, right? They're mm -hmm. not things that are generally, they're, they're not discoverable in the sense that like, hey, when I want to sue David, for example, like I can find out the companies he owns and what assets he has to know he's a good target for a lawsuit. Because if I can find out all the stuff that he owns and I know like, heck yeah, I'm suing David. He's got a bunch to lose over here. I'm pretty sure he's going to pay me off to make me go away. And that's actually how the business of lawsuits really works here in the United States. So what you want to do is, is actually use um, either if you're on the domestic side of the United States and you, you're uh, domestic resident over here. Um, what you want to be using is either LLCs, um, series LLCs, if you have uh, multiple businesses or multiple assets that you're looking to protect, you'd want to use a series LLC because that allows you to create one LLC, but allow for infinite uh, creation of child series that function just like LLCs, but for free. So essentially for paying for one LLC, you get to create an infinite number so of these are like, these are like uh, ready-made subsidiaries, if you want to think That's of it right. like a, like on an org chart with like boxes above and below. So you, you create this one entity and then you create all these sub-entities and each one is a separate legal person? That's right. Yeah. Everyone yeah. has a separate legal purpose, uh, person for uh, legal liability reasons, right? So you compartmentalize every asset that you own, like each piece of real estate or each car or each um, investment that you would make can go into its own bucket, right? Its own child series. Um, and therefore, if there's ever a lawsuit against that one asset or involving that one asset, they can't go after any of the other assets and they can't go after you personally. Additionally, you can do is you can create things um, uh, that are like the LLCs or series LLCs, but have, um, have them owned by what are called revocable grantor trusts, which don't have any tax consequences or no annual filing for them. Um, what they do is they just hold the place that your name would hold in association with who is the owner 
um, of that entity. So that way you can own uh, that entity anonymously, um, or if it's say it's on a piece of real estate or a, a title to a car, that trust can then in turn own the title to the car, or the piece of real estate. So now that everything is owned through these blind trusts, uh, any documentation relating to the creation of the trust or the entity always point back to an attorney, myself. And so therefore all the information is further protected by the attorney client privilege. And if that sounds like, wow, that's a lot of moving parts and complicated, it is, but only on the setup. And those are all the things that professional staff are there to do, right? Mm. The great part about it is that once they're set up that they run, um, everything runs like it runs in the background. There's no extra additional tax filings or tax consequences that happen. It's just kind of like an infrastructure that runs in the background of your life that says, hey, if anybody ever looks to sue me, it's going to look like I qualify for food stamps. And if they do decide to go with the lawsuit anyway, even though it looks like I'm totally broke, the most they're going to be able to get is very little to nothing. Yeah. And which is an important, I think, to point out is we're not talking about any kind of uh, setups that help you avoid tax liability or any any sort of thing that's like hidden from the government. I mean, the government has different governments in the United States have created these setups for a reason. I mean, they're, th these things have been created as tools for people to use um, over the course of, of time. And, and you're just employing those tools that are available to everyone. Yeah, that's really all we're doing is like, these are just the tools that the government created that like sophisticated people use. And there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong about that. There's nothing shady at all about it. This is just the toolbox that we're given to say, this is how you can protect yourself and protect um, your assets, you know, as you grow. Um, I mean, these are, these are the things that the sophisticated, uh, the sophisticated business owners do, right? Like, for example, like, you know, you'll find people like that are on the Canadian side of things that are trying to, you know, buy assets or run businesses that are here inside of the United States. And time and time again, you know, we'll see them that they have stuff set up in a way that's really disadvantageous for them, right? That they set up LLC structures because they heard that in the United States, you're supposed to use LLCs. But what they didn't realize is on the Canadian side of things that there's really bad tax consequences. Similarly, like for some of my Irish clients and other clients that are overseas, they didn't realize that like, oh, just because Americans use LLCs that they shouldn't, that instead what they should be using is limited partnerships mm. that function just like LLCs for legal liability purposes. But because it's a limited partnership, the taxation is to their personal tax rate, not their corporate tax rate, right? So that's the number one consideration we're looking at, like what is the right entity for you? It has to do with like, what is your business? What are the types of assets that you have? Um, and then also like, what is your domestic tax treatment gonna look like? So we know of all of the options of levers that we can pull, let's just make sure to use the right one that's gonna give you the protection, the anonymity and give you the advantageous tax. Yeah, and, and before the call, we actually, um, Scott and I talked about, you know, are we gonna get into taxes? And, and, and here's why I generally try to avoid taxes in conversations like this is because um, it's just so unique to every individual circumstances, you know, what, what is the business doing? And then where is the person who owns it living? And then what kinds of entities and what jurisdictions are gonna you know, have tax obligations as money moves from one place to the other? Are there gonna be withholding taxes? Are there tax treaties, all this kind of thing. And so this conversation has to be done with actual experts who are familiar with the two jurisdictions that are, that are at play. And it's you know, not the place where people wanna do it yourself. Yeah, you'll get caught in like scenarios that you didn't know that you needed to research. 
Yeah. Like yeah. that's really where a lot of people get nailed. It's not that their research was wrong. It's that they didn't know that they need to even ask the right question about the thing. And that's where like the experience really comes into play is knowing what are all the different considerations and like, when are you actually in a situation that you're like, oh, shucks, this is like outside of my depth. I need to coordinate with another professional. That happens with us a lot on tax, right? Because we're like, well, let's get a local tax professional to like where mm -hmm. you're at um, that you work with. And then let's make sure that we're fully aligned on what are the all the implications that are going to be here. Um, what I can tell you, though, is that without getting into any of the specific tax treatment considerations is that um, what I've learned is that the 95% of the guardrails of what is set up correctly are always repeatable. That way you can you can basically know from talking to somebody's like, here's the 95% of the things that we have to figure out. And that 95% is almost always the entity structuring itself. Mm -hmm. um, and that that last 5% has to do with, okay, how is your CPA or tax professional going to weave the ins and outs of your LP, of your P&L to, to make this flow in the correct way for your ideal treatment. Um, but we feel really confident on anybody coming in with some basic information and we say, well, here's actually the proper structuring from other clients that we've helped that are similarly situated to you um, with, uh, with your domicile and assets, et cetera. Oh, this is great. Do you want to, uh, do you want to get into some of these questions that are popping up? Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. All right. So we got a question here from Tactitas 1979. How does failure to run the business correctly, like having an annual owner meeting or missing meeting agendas and minutes, how much value is lost as well as its goodwill? Well, uh, I don't really think we're talking about the goodwill of the business being lost. I think what we're talking about is that simply you've opened yourself up to risk if some other party's lawyer started to poke their nose around your paperwork right? In, in the or case of a lawsuit. It comes up as like somebody sues you, right? And then you have to say, they're going to say, well, it's not a real business. This is actually yeah. just David. And so when I sue this business or I sue David, I really want to go after everything, right? So I say, well, it's not, it's not a really true business. So how are they going to prove that it's not a true business? They say, well, look at the way he ran it. There's no meetings here. There's no accounting records, right? It looks like he's just going by the ATM and just pulling out money whenever he wants to, like into it. And there's no record of him taking an owner distribution every time he does that. Right. And those are things that they're going to use to say, hey, we're going to invalidate your your entity structuring with it. Right. So that what, really the, what does it take? Just it. just a convincing enough argument to a judge. Yeah, that's that's what you're looking for is like, here's all of the things that you would um, try to use to convince a judge and then see how the judge shakes out on it. Right. So that's that's the name of the game when you're trying to do those um, types of attacks. Now, I'll tell you what's something cool about that question, though. Um, that I didn't touch on before, which is when we talked about the operating company and the asset holding company, we spent a lot of our first part of our conversation just talking about an asset holding company, which is where do I hold all of the stuff, mm. right? And how do I hold it anonymously? A lot of people don't understand, uh, or don't fully appreciate the value of the operating company because in the operating company, that's the company that would be like, hey, this is how David is going to show up in the world. How he contracts with people is never David personally. It's David's limited partnership or David's LLC. Um, that is going to be executing like inside of that transaction, sending the emails, signing the contracts and doing all that. So if there is a situation that there is a lawsuit that says, hey, David defrauded me, he lied to me in this email about what he said he was going to do, right? Then David can turn around and say like, hey, listen, that's great that you want to try to sue me, but it wasn't me that sent the email. It was actually on behalf of this entity that I work for. Right. And that's my operating company. So they'll say, well, great. Well, we're going to sue the heck out of that operating company. And David's like, fantastic. Go ahead and do that. In the meantime, I'm going to start up a whole new company and let you win this other lawsuit that I don't care about. 
because it's a company that doesn't own anything. And I'm just going to continue to do business underneath this other entity name and be able to continue on, you know, with my business with that. But it was like, well, didn't I lose all of my goodwill from my business and my trade name and my branding? No, because those are all assets that are actually owned by your asset holding company that are leased to your operating company. So all you do is release the same stuff that's already owned by your asset holding company to a new company and then boom, you're back in operation the next day. You're not, you don't even lose a day of time. So, you know, I think a lot of people's reaction might be, well, Scott, what if I'm just an honest and fair person? And I treat everyone well and I do my business, you know, you know, in a correct way. Isn't that how I protect myself from this kind of lawsuit? Well, people will just lie. They want to sue you. They're going to lie. They're going to, yeah. they're gonna, something's going to go wrong. They're going to lose money. Do you think they're just going to be like cool losing money? No, that's not what people do. They blame somebody else and then they sue them. Um, we've got another great another great question here from Neil Garceau. I have three rental properties, one held in an LLC and invested in via my self-directed IRA. Sounds like an umbrella insurance policy is not adequate. A holding company for each property? Uh, two different questions here. Can you read that? Yeah, so um, stuff that's held inside of a retirement account, um, like a self-directed IRA or solo 401k. First of all, I would say you should probably roll over your self-directed IRA to a solo 401k. It's going to give you like higher contribution limits, as well as being able to have like the same like checkbook control types of um, uh, capability that you would want to be able to manage it without a custodian. Um, and and but once it's inside of the retirement account, it's as if it were held inside of an LLC, right? So once in there, it's if it's held inside an LLC. Now, any assets that are held in your personal name, all of those have to go into an LLC or a series LLC if you have more than one property, right? So one, if you're looking at two or more properties, you need to go series LLC. If you just have one property or just a conglomeration of other assets like your stock portfolio, cash, et cetera, you can do that inside of just an individual LLC and you don't need a series LLC. Um, and if you already have retirement accounts and everything is held inside the retirement accounts, Cool. That's just like holding it inside of an individual LLC per retirement account. Now, the retirement accounts, though, are remember, they're just like an LLC. So if you have three assets and they're all held inside of one IRA account, the problem you run into is what if there's a lawsuit against one of the assets? Well, hopefully my insurance policy steps in to protect me. Right. But if it doesn't, then all of my assets, my entire IRA is at risk. So even inside of an IRA account or a 401k account, it's important to compartmentalize your assets, especially if you have individual liability like rental property. If it's all just stocks, cash, that kind of stuff, then you don't need it, right? Because there's no individual liability that that, that your, your bank account can't do anything wrong to somebody like your piece of property can do something wrong by like injuring them in some way. Yeah, so the the, the class and type of, of, of asset leads to different sorts of strategies. Um, you know, when it comes to simply financial assets too, things like, uh, like whole life insurance policies and stuff like that, the way they're set up, they have certain asset protection, uh, capabilities with them as well. Right. And, and these retirement accounts, et cetera, it's, and, and this is why I get back to the idea of you, you need to talk to someone who knows, uh, who can sort of lay out the potential risks or what may or may not happen. We've got uh, an interesting question here. This is a two-parter. Um, and this is from Mike. How do you advise a financially strapped or new or aspiring owner on the balance versus risk when they have limited cash 
And he goes on to say, I've seen many aspiring business owners who failed to move forward because they couldn't get comfortable given they couldn't afford to eliminate all perceived risks. Yeah. So like the, the deal is, is that you have to look at uh, eliminating all risks is actually way too conservative. You need to be okay with having some risk, right? The, the, the key question we look at asset protection um, is about what tools do you have in the event of a lawsuit? What tools do you have to stop lawsuits, which is anonymity and the ownership of the assets, make it look like you qualify for food stamps, people don't sue you. And then number two is, um, what are the cost effective ways that I can actually shift uh, my risks around? So um, the number one is having good insurance. Insurance will protect you against most things most of the time. The problem that we run into is people rely on insurance to be like, oh, I have insurance, so I'm protected. You know, mm -hmm. and it's like, no, that's not really how it works. Once you start having above $50,000 in total net worth, you need to start looking at insurance plus entity structuring uh, that comes through with it. So let's say that you're cash strapped into it and you're like a beginning entrepreneur that's cash strapped. Let's say you own um, no assets. The first thing you would do is just form an LLC or an LP uh, to do all of your business through as an operating company to protect you personally, because you actually have an asset, even though you don't have any money, which is called your credit score. Your ability to get access to cash um, is itself an asset. And if you don't have an operating company, a lawsuit against you tanks your credit score, which eliminates your ability to get cash, which prevents you from being able to do business, right? So number one thing would be like, just set up that one entity and use it as an operating company. Once you start getting that appreciable net worth, that's a $50,000 or more in total net worth, then get your second asset holding company, right? Yeah, and then you'll have your operating company and an asset holding company. And from there, then you'll have like the basic building blocks to keep running and chugging and then expanding your asset holding company as you're able to acquire more assets by either establishing additional LLCs, LPs, or series LLCs, depending upon what your portfolio is going to be. But Every single person should have an operating company. There's no reason that there's, it's just not, um, it's not an acceptable risk level if you're doing business inside of the United States to not be operating through an entity as an entrepreneur. Hmm. Um, I've got another question here from, uh, from Joe. When does a holding company make sense for real estate? Do you have to be over a certain dollar figure? He, he gives a $1, one million as an example. Yeah. So what we do is that we believe is that every single piece of real estate that you own should be compartmentalized because real estate's a high risk type of investment. Over yeah. a 25 year period, um, our data shows that every real estate investor over a 25 year period will be involved in a major lawsuit with it. Right. So what we would view as that is saying, well, then it's about um, how do we structure out the assets to make sure they're protected um, as we scale. So we look at it and say, like, if you're only going to have one property and ever own one property, maybe just do a, a, a traditional LLC with a trust, a land trust, and you can avoid the due on sale clause of your mortgage. You can own the property anonymously and do all that. Once you're owning more than one property, then we say to use a series LLC or, or some in some instances, a Delaware statutory trust to be able to um, have a more scalable option uh, for the protection. But it's not about total dollars that you have, right? It's really about number of assets. And, and that's where we say like that, what's going to be the proper move. If you're at, this is where I say it's like, it, that's why it's like, it's a lot lower than people think. People think like, oh, I need a hundred thousand or a million dollars to do this. It's like, no, no, no. You're talking about the types of investments that are like a thousand to $1,500 investments to be able to say, I'm removing like a whole swath of risk from my life. Right. Yeah. It comes with it. And then there's like, well, Hey, it's probably smart to spend a few thousand dollars once that'll protect you for the rest of your life. Versus once you get any appreciable amount of net worth at all. 
Well, and, and, and I'm glad that you brought that up because, because the fees that your company charges is in the order of magnitude of a few thousand dollars. Yeah. For a lot of this it's, stuff. it's a few yeah. thousand dollars to be able to get set up with some pretty sophisticated structuring as well as all the advice of how it all has to work together. Yeah. And how do you actually run it correctly to make sure that if it's that it actually stands up? And I mean, to Joe's question about dollar figures, I mean, $1 million of real estate in some places could be one house and in other places could be uh, six or seven properties. Right. Yeah. So, so it, it, the, you know, number of properties, I guess is the, is the way to go. Yeah. It's number of properties and anything that's, if you have over $50,000 in total net worth, you need to be doing something. And the only one for us to really have that conversation is to actually like get on the phone and like go through, okay, what is it? Where are you at right now? Where are you looking to try to go in the next three to five years? How do you foresee yourself scaling there? You know, let's talk in the ins and outs of your operations and asset acquisition, how you think your portfolio is gonna grow. And knowing that, you know, we're gonna touch base every quarter to be able to tack the ship as we go, but at least we'll have started with the that 95%. That what are the guardrails of where we're going? Um, so that way we can start using best practices as soon as possible. So in our conversation here, you've mentioned <clears throat> certain states like Delaware and, and certain features that they have for statutory trusts and things like this. For someone who's not in the United States and they want to, you know, try to implement a plan to better protect their assets, who should they be going out to talk to? Should they be going to a CPA or an attorney? What kinds of questions should they be asking these people to make sure they're dealing with someone who, who knows what they're talking about? Yeah, so if you're in on the Canadian side of thing and you're looking to do business here in the United States, you need a Canadian uh, cross-border CPA. Um, we have a contacts for a few of these guys that are really great that I like working with into it. And then you need a cross-border attorney um, like myself and my company to be able to help with all of the domestic structuring. Um, not all LLCs and LPs are all created equal. So you have to form the LPs and LLCs in the correct states for them to have the proper charging order protection, the proper asset protection, the proper anonymity. Um, and how do you how do you get all of the benefits with none of the costs associated with doing it another way, right? So there's huge amounts of efficiencies that are built in by being more sophisticated with how do you, what do you actually target? Um, and that's where we really come into place by saying like, we've been doing it long enough with enough different kinds of people to be like, okay, great. We can know within an hour of talking to you of like, here's your exact game plan to move forward. And here's the cost that it's going to be to be able to execute that game plan versus setup versus any on and on, any ongoing maintenance with it. But those are your two people, cross-border CPA and a cross-border attorney. Okay. We've got, uh, Joe says, thank you. This has been very insightful. We also got a a thank you from Tacitus uh, as well. And we've got uh, a new question in here that just arrived from Jack. Jack asks, I'm incorporating my holding company in June and I've been arranging an operating company with a partner. Um, and he says, I'd like the IP to be held by the holding company, but he wants equal ownership over its assets. Any tips on drafting a well-structured operating agreement or is this the right setup at all? Yeah, so you definitely need both, right? You need an operating company to be the face of the business. Um, Jack. Um, and then you also need that separate asset holding company to hold any of the IP, um, hold the the web domain, you know, hold any anything else that's going to come up inside of that. So we'd say like, hey, if we got sued, what are we happy and okay losing? Okay. Any, anything that's in that camp, you can put in the operating company. Anything you're like, ah, that would hurt if we had to like rebuild that or restart that, that all needs to belong to the asset holding company. That's item number one. Um, with your asset holding company, I would recommend that you guys do two entities, like do one, like for your partnership, 
have one operating company that's owned by both of you, and then have one asset holding company that's owned by both of you. And then, um, Jack, I would have a completely separate asset holding company for you personally that holds wow. like your personal portfolio and everything there. Yeah, Jack just put another comment in here about how he's got other assets in his own holding company, and and I guess this is the answer for Jack is he he they need there needs to be more than one holding company. One there needs more with than his one holding company. One for himself. Yeah, that's right. There one there's one partnership operate holding company that has access to um, whatever the partnership assets are going to be, and then Jack, your personal asset holding company will own that half of the partnership asset holding company, and then your partner would do the same, right? Like his personal asset holding company should own half of your joint or partnership asset holding company. And the reason that you guys would both want to be on the operating company is usually around banking concerns. That's around who can, who can get in and out of the banks uh, for any transactions that you have to do. Yeah. And, uh, and again, Jack says, thanks. The, the um, let's talk about banks for a second because we're talking about putting different assets into different legal entities for legal protections. But of course, that doesn't really change much when it comes to banking arrangements or using assets as collateral. I mean, you're if you're going to offer a mortgage on a, on a house or whatever, it doesn't matter what the ownership name of that house is, um, you're going to be offering up that, you know, an encumbrance on that title to the lender. And their position isn't really going to change with even if you go changing these things around or restructuring it, is it? Yeah, you're actually able to leave all of the existing indebtedness all in place. And yeah. when you move the assets into a land trust, and that land trust is in turn owned by your LLC, um, all, all the, the due on sale clause, the mortgage or any of the encumbrances um, that are on it all still stay in place. And that there's nothing that's triggered that would cause the bank's um, heartburn. Um, and, there, and we have a lot of experience working with the banks to make sure that that's going to be the case um, for everybody that comes through. I can tell you over the last seven years, we've had zero critical issues uh, with so we've always been able to work with the banks and any other type of encumbrance because ultimately at the end of the day, all of their protections were all leaving in place with it, right? We're just changing a few things that allow us to have better asset protection and actually better protect the bank because we're going to say, hey, yeah. you're less likely to be involved in a lawsuit and have to defend your claim to the asset, right? Yeah. Which is what would happen to them in any other circumstance. So uh, nothing should nothing prevents you from being able to have these types of structures put in place it's not your insurance can stay exactly the same way it is now your tax treatment can stay the exact same way it is right now um the way that you have your assets um the financing on those assets you're going to be able to get the absolute best financing with it um, and that's kind of like that's part of the what makes special about royal legal solutions is that because we have such a tight focus We've already had to work through those issues before to know like, okay, here's the playbook that you actually have to run to be able to get to that end result. Guys, if you're liking the show, hit the thumbs up. I always keep forgetting to ask people to do that. Yeah, like and share. Like and share. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Jack says uh, a big thank you. Thank you, Jack, for joining us here tonight. And, um, you know, it's, well, I'm looking at the time. It's time for us to start wrapping this up. Um, let me head back over here. So, so if anyone wants to reach out and talk to you some more, you have a whole team of people that work for you and people can also learn more just by going over to your website, can't they? Yeah, the best thing to do is to go to royallegalsolutions.com right here on the website uh, and then go to take the quiz at the top of the page. What that quiz does is actually give us all the basic information that we need to have a good snapshot. Who you are, where you're at right now, what's the critical information we need uh, to be able to know that we're a good fit um, and that we're going to have a good partnership with you. 
And the way we're structured as a company is to be able to say, come to the website. We're going to give you a ton of free information uh, just by filling out the quiz and be able to introduce you like, here's the best resources that people that we found similarly situated to you um, have found useful. Right. And so that we have about 12 ebooks that we've written, um, tons of other FAQs and other types of information that we're happy to share with you at no obligation, no cost, just to help kind of form that relationship and get you up to speed. Um, and then if it makes sense for us to be able to have those subsequent conversations on, hey, what do we, you know, what's a specific game plan for you and what's that going to look like in terms of cost um, for you and what's the kind of support that you can expect um, on that unlimited ongoing support at no additional cost and those quarterly check-ins to have somebody watching your back, uh, we're going to be able to walk you through how what that looks like to have a holistic shop and a holistic team of professionals being able to help you at a very, very affordable cost. Every single person that comes in, I have the team structure to be able to say, we are going to be able to get every single person that comes in can get something on their path, right? They can get the first building block because everything we do builds like Lego blocks. So you don't have to have the full systems of everything set up from the very beginning. You can start with just individual pieces and then build that over time. So that way, as you grow, you know, me and my team and my company um, grow as well too. And all you have to do to be able to get access to all that information and insight, the free eBooks and everything is just go to royallegalsolutions.com and take the quiz that's there at the top of the page. Awesome, man. Um, I want to thank you for, for joining me here tonight. I want to remind everyone out there that uh, this is the, this month, May, 2021 is the three-year anniversary of the Business Buyer Adventure Group Coaching Program. So if you've enjoyed tonight's conversation with Scott, um, Scott is uh, expert call number 36. There's 37 expert calls in there right now. Every month, the content in the group grows with the, the member calls where people are discussing deals uh, with me and with each other and with expert calls every month. So the value of the program just keeps getting bigger every month as, as time goes by. If you are looking at maybe one day buying a business, um, then you should come check it out, businessbuyeradventure.com. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and for those of you, um, everyone else, make sure you head over to davidcbarnettlist.com and get on my email list. I send out emails all the time. And so you'll never miss something like an interview that I'm doing here tonight if you're on that email list. And, um, and that's it. Man, thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks, David. <laughs> all right, everyone. We'll see you later. Have a good night.